So let's start with the word of prayer. Father, we come to you. This is your day. It's the Lord's day. This is a time that we have dedicated kind of like a date to help with our relationship with you. Father, this is your place that we have uh, placed. It's a time of we get together every week on this same spot. And we come together to worship you. We come to hear your word. We come to give you praises. We come to enjoy your presence. Father, it is all about you. Rejoicing and celebrating what your son has done for us. 2,000 years ago, he came up from that grave. And we are celebrating that there is life after death. There is new life in Jesus Christ. And Father, as we speak about new life, we know that Josh and Crystal are just almost on the threshold of having a new baby in their home. And we ask your blessings upon uh, these last few days or weeks, however long it is. You bless Crystal and Josh and give them comfort and peace. May this be a healthy delivery. And may uh, their son uh, be exactly as you say every life is. Created in the womb as a gift to us. God, you have planned and you have allowed this to happen. And so we're thankful for that. We know that you have great plans for their lives as well as for Jed's life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us and sing our first song? This is Amazing Grace. I don't know about y'all, but we're swimming in grace from God, you know, as a believer. Swimming. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole world with holy Oh, 
singing. Let's keep singing for all he's done for us. We got 10,000 reasons to do it and more. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like this.
describe what he did for us as that one did.
Father, thank you for becoming a man in the body of Jesus. It amazes us that you would contain yourself for 33 years in a, in a body, like a box. You hid things that you shouldn't have had to because you were God. But we are so grateful on this side of the cross that we can look back and read your words and see who you are and how you operated. And Lord, it's an example to us. We want to follow Jesus. And we lift him up today. We are so grateful that you have set him the highest place because you were so proud to be his father and that he was so obedient. And Father, we want you to say that of us. We want to walk a walk that you'll be able to say, well done. And we're coming to the end. And we're in desperate times. So we need to know your word even greater in these days. So help us to have ears to hear. May your word penetrate our heart and mind that we may change, that you will renovate us. You will renew us as, you're, as you say your word will do. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you for the beautiful songs that we got to sing to you today. We glorify you. We lift you up. Even our mistakes. Thank you, God, that you use those even to your glory. We praise you for that. Thank you for God's man. May he be able to speak freely this morning that nothing would hinder him from speaking what you've given to him for us. Work your way in and out of these pews, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn to a brand new book that we're going to be studying, and that is the book of First Peter. First Peter. So if you join us, it's, if you're looking at the Bible, it's almost all the way to the right, almost to the end. First Peter. <clears throat> we do have some sermon notes if you'd like to follow along as well. They should have been handed out. So we're going to start this new book today, and we just finished James, so now we're going into First Peter. Now, this book should excite us. You say, well, why should it excite us? Well, the theme of this book is to offer encouragement. So let me say, if you're going through something, as I already heard somebody, and I said, hey, well, the sermon is going to be good for you this morning, and so uh, we can listen. And so if you're not going through some difficult times, well, hang on. Yeah, uh, I'm not being a pessimistic. I just know life. Life has its ups and it has its downs. It has its great moments and the not so great moments. But, you know, when we're talking about suffering as Christians, it's so important to have the right response. Because when we don't, bitterness, anxiety, all kinds of negative things can come in and take over us because we didn't have the right response to suffering. So Peter writes some words of encouragement. I want to look at the theme again. This is kind of a theme verse for the, uh, Peter. It's found in chapter 1, and I'll read a couple verses, verses 6 and 7. Peter says here, So be truly glad. This is wonderful joy head, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Listen, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Isn't that true? Well, when we get that pressure squeeze, it just reveals really what's in our heart and who we are. And listen, he says, it's being tested as fire test purifies gold. Ah, here's an illustration for us. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ revealed to the whole world. Listen, your faith is going to just shine. It's going to be pure. It's going to be holy. It's going to be bright uh, to be shined, and it will be revealed uh, to the whole world. So listen, my friend, as we go and cities are already prayed about, uh, you know, going through dark days and so forth, and we will go through those times, and maybe we already had uh, some of that. Listen, 
we will find that we will become more stronger and closer to God. The church itself will become more vibrant because of the, of the, the things that don't matter a lot are going to be burnt away. They're going to be pushed away. And the true believers, the ones that are serious about serving God and serious about walking uh, according to biblical principles will stand up. and They'll be accounted for. In other words, they won't be playing any games. The realness, the seriousness about following God uh, will, will be the test. So today as we stand for Jesus in the Bible, we're starting to see and tasting some of these things as we experience life. As our culture drifts away from moral, from the biblical principles, we will become more isolated or separated from our culture. And so this is a great thing as, as we see the clash of the Bible and what the world and that tension builds. We can see them. So Peter, he sits down and writes a letter that will inspire us as a Christian to continue to love God during these times of suffering. So let's begin in 1 Peter as an introductory today of who Peter is and who Peter is writing to, okay? So 1 Peter chapter 1, let's read the first two verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we're going to stop there. Those are the two verses that we're going to look at First Peter, and then we'll take up where we dropped off uh, next week. So who is the man behind Peter, behind the pen here? Who is the man? Well, Peter, as you remember, you know the Gospels, that Peter was a fisherman. Uh, I like to fish. I don't get to do it as often. But, you know, I connect with Peter. Peter was a fisherman. He loved the outdoors. He loved working with his hands. He's, uh, he lived by the Sea of Galilee. And remember how Jesus came along and called him uh, to become a fisher of men. As we look at Peter, the man behind the pen, he was a very impulsive person by nature. Are you impulsive? Well, maybe you can identify with Peter. You know, yeah, let's go. Oh, yeah, let's go over here. Oh, yeah, let's go over here. <laughs> impulsive. According to tradition, he was a, a very big man physically. And it just kind of, that kind of seems like the, tr the, the, the picture of uh, when we read about uh, Peter. He became um, the leader of, of the churches of the New Testament. A major player there, as Paul was. Peter had a calling primarily to Jewish Christians, to Jews. And then Paul had kind of a primary ministry focus on the Gentiles, and the Gentile uh, nations and cities that he, that where God would lead him. And Peter was an apostle. Now that, that's very clear. God wants us to know who Peter was. Peter was an apostle. And this meant that he was personally called by Jesus Christ to follow him. It also meant that he had witnessed the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what apostle, apostle was there and they, they uh, was called by Jesus personally. And then they personally experienced life with Jesus as well as his death and he was there in the resurrection and saw the resurrected Christ after uh, Jesus' death. And God used the apostles as building blocks to form the, new, the first church there and the churches as they, as they started other churches. And Peter was very involved in that, in church planning. Peter was very vocal, and probably like a natural-born leader. He was one that just... just was there. Is it said that he was the mouth of the apostles? You know, when, when something was, you know, thinking in their heart, you know, Peter was just, he would just blurt it out. The apostles were thinking about, should we say this? What about this? And Peter just blurts it out. So imagine this. Christians are there going through suffering. They get this, this letter from Peter. And it's a sense of importance. 
Oh, this is from Peter. This is from Peter. What does it say? We'll get into that. But Peter's, here is, as Naaman's mentioned, uh, Peter is mentioned more in the Gospels than anyone except the name of Jesus. No one speaks in the Gospel as often as Peter did. And Jesus spoke to Peter more than any other individual in the Gospels. So you can see how he rises to be the mouthpiece of the apostles, a leader among this group. But also realize this, Jesus rebuked Peter more than any other disciple. He was the problem child. He was the man that, you know, that was always going to be uh, difficult to get along. Peter was the only disciple who dared to rebuke Jesus. Peter disagreed and argued with Jesus more than the other disciples. Peter denied Jesus more forcefully and publicly than any other disciple. You remember when he was, said, I'll not deny you, Jesus, and then he denied Jesus three different times? And when we think about this, okay, Jesus comes along and he calls these 12 disciples and he brings Peter onto the team to be one of the 12, to live basically with diff, three, three different years together. You know, and as a coach, a coach wants people on his team who are team players, people who, who he can work with. It seems that, that Jesus chose Peter. And we questioned that, you know, why would you pick Peter? Why would you have him there? And, and he was a, a difficult person to get along with. It seemed like things would go smoother if Peter wasn't in the picture. But you have to stop and remember how Jesus picked the 12 disciples. This is important. You see, he, when Jesus was going to call the 12 and said, out of this group of Christians, these are the 12 that I'm going to handpick, and, and, and they're going to be one that's going to follow me um, for these years, and I'm going to make them followers of Jesus. In my footsteps, I'm going to make you disciples of Christ. See, Jesus went on a, up in a mountain one day. He prayed all night long and fasted. God, Father, who would be these disciples? Who, who would be the 12? And one by one in that conversation with God the Father and God the Son, they had this conversation. And one by one was named and Peter was among the group that it was the will of God, that God said, yes, this is the man that we're going to use as to be a disciple of Jesus. You see, God saw something in Peter. That same energy and boldness directed by the Spirit of God, the same energy that, that would get him into tr so much trouble, it would be channeled into something where Peter would rise up to be a powerful instrument used by God. Listen to this. Peter, Jesus praised Peter more than any other disciple. It was Peter who was willing to leave the boat and walk on the water. Why would Peter do it? The other disciples don't, but Peter would do this. It's because he wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to, to be there. It was Peter who stepped out of the boat. It was Peter who was thrown into prison by Herod to be executed, and God sent an angel to deliver him. Peter confessed Jesus more boldly and accurately than any other disciple. Peter was the one who boldly stood up on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he was the one who no doubt, they weren't sure what, how the message would be received. They just, they just crucified their leader. They just killed him, and now they're going to stand up before this same crowd that a few days earlier had cried, crucify, crucify Jesus. But it was Peter who stood up with boldness. 
and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a great revival, spiritual revival, uh, broke out in Jerusalem. There were 3,000 and then 5,000 multitudes were saved. Peter was the momentum of the gospel, that started the momentum of the gospel in the New Testament. So we value what Peter has to say. How God did this transformation in his life to a place of, of being stubborn and, and maybe arrogant to a place of brokenness where Jesus came along and said, Peter, do you love me? That broken, yes, Lord, then go feed my sheep. And he rose up to be a great, powerful voice for Jesus Christ. That's Peter. Now let's listen to whom Peter was writing to. About this time that the, this letter is written is about A.D. 63, somewhere in the neighborhood. And that's important. We'll get into this a little bit later on in the sermons. About, uh, it was right before a great persecution that, that Nero started a wave of fierce persecution upon the Christians. And so this, this, this uh, letter is written at the end of Paul's epistles being written and right before uh, this great persecution by Nero. And so the Christians were going to face persecution like they've never done before. They were dispersed into these different places. And no doubt they didn't feel right at home. They were out of culture. They, the, the, things were different for them. Things were not familiar to them. They had left their roots. And this letter was there to prepare them as they were going through the suffering presently, but the, the, the suffering that no doubt that many of them would face in the near future. And so we see that this is the intention of this great book, that in every chapter there is, there is words of encouragement to persevere, be patient, trust the Lord through this suffering. In every chapter there is something about this encouragement. So let's think back. The moment that Peter sat down, had a blank piece of paper or parchment, took that pen in his hand, the Holy Spirit started to impress upon him his thoughts. What he should write is he started to think about God and the suffering and the, what the Christians were experiencing, and then no doubt what they would be experiencing. So he writes down, some words that would get hope and encouragement for hurtful times. The first thing that Peter does, he reminds them of the love and the security of being God's chosen people. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit and obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. He said, you're part of the chosen people. It's something that, that, that he it stresses twice in different ways. And whenever we find something, truth in the Bible that is repeated, it means that God is, wants to emphasize. It's like taking a, a highlighter and, and putting that yellow mark on that phrase because it, it wants to be stuck. It's like an underscore to, to, to make note of this being chosen by God. This isn't a Jewish thing. It's for all believers, for all who have believed in Jesus Christ. God has chosen me. This is what I want you to understand. That is, Peter is saying that we are chosen in God. Would you say with me, God has chosen me. Could you say that phrase together out loud? Ready? God has chosen me. God has chosen me. He's chosen you. As a believer, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He has chosen us. That gives us value. That shows that we're love and that we have security. And we find that as we, as we talk about this, that all three members of the Trinity were involved in the choosing. The whole Godhead was there to choose you. God the Father has chosen you. 
chosen these Christians long before. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. We may say, well, how can this be? And it's a simple answer is the foreknowledge of God. The election of God is based upon his foreknowledge. You do not read of the election apart from the foreknowledge of God. If you believe that God knows all things, you should have no problem with the doctrine of election. Ephesians 1, Paul writes there that, I, that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. This is important truth because as, as we see that, that we ask ourselves, does God know when I'm going through suffering? We believe that he does. He believed that we are known to him and, he, and everything is known to him. If God knows all these things, then God can't learn anything. It's impossible for him to learn anything because he already knows it. If God is ever going to know anything, then he already knows it. God knows all. And we are thinking in our minds a limit of time and space, but God lives beyond that. That God loved us before we loved him. Before we said, yeah, I accept you, God, into my heart life. And God already knew who would reject and who would accept. And God knew in this foreknowledge we would be born into this world. He knew we would be born again, spiritual birth. And as if he knows that, don't you think that he knows what we are going through? If we believe that he already has chosen us based upon his foreknowledge, then I believe that God knows what we are going through and will go through. As you notice here that as he's talking about here and, and he's trying to give this steadfastness to who we are in a position in God, he says that, that God the Father has known you, and then he, he brings in the whole team, the whole trinity, all decks on hand. I mean, everything that when God has chosen us, it is not God the Father chose, but listen, the Holy Spirit was involved in and Jesus Christ, as it mentioned here in verse 2 again. That God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. The Holy Spirit brings that conviction that we should place our faith in God, and He gives us the means to accept God in our lives and gives us the power to become like Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit calls us into salvation, then leads us into the process of sanctification, and then there's glorification because of the work of the Holy Spirit. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writes, it says, As for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. We are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation. A salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy through your belief in the truth. He called you to salvation. Then we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. From salvation to sanctification to glorification, the Holy Spirit makes us holy. The Holy Spirit made us one of the chosen. We had nothing to do with this. This is of God. It's the grace of God. It's our faith in what God can do. If God has done this, then he can help us with whatever suffering that we may experience in our life. And the third member of the Trinity was Jesus Christ cleanses us by his blood. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have, and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We were born as sinners. None of us came perfect in the world. We were born. We were born. Little Jet's going to be born pretty soon, and my goodness, he's going to be a sinner as we all have been sinners. Need of a Savior, need of cleansing from the sin and guilt of sin and the judgment of sin. This is why Paul writes in Romans 5, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they can help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confidence, hope of salvation. And this hope will lead not to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, how dearly he loves us, how deep is his love for us. Why do we know that? How do we know that? 
Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Because when we are utterly helpless, a sinful condition, Christ came at just the right time to die for us as sinners. For God chose us. He had to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. For God to choose us, Jesus Christ, he had to be willing to choose severe pain and death on the cross. Listen, Peter wants us to know that we're going to go through hard times. But never forget that we have been chosen by God. That we are the apple of his eye. And it may not be... You may not feel like it. It may seem like, you know, that God has forgotten us. But never forget that God loves you so much that he was willing to suffer and die for you. Remember, when we suffer because of Christ, Christ suffered for us. We are God's chosen people. So if we believe God knew us before time, then he knows all about what we're going through and what we will go through. So Peter's writing words of encouragement, of hope. You are God's chosen people. Then he says about being in exile or pilgrims, different translations, aliens, strangers, foreigners in this world. We could say, Peter's saying, I am God's chosen, you are God's chosen, living as a foreigner or an alien or a stranger in this world. And we can be encouraged by this. Peter's one is to say, listen, understand your position in God, but listen, your position in the world. You're just an alien, you're a foreigner, you're a pilgrim, you're just traveling through. And we can do this. I'm going to give you two points in closing. First of all, we can be encouraged through suffering if we remember, don't drive the tent stakes deep. A lieutenant once told his men as they made camp for the night, don't drive your tent stakes too deep because we're leaving in the morning. Listen, this is the way we're to live our life as Christians. This is, we, we are just, we're just passing through this world as that old hymn goes. We're not to think of this as our home. We're not to think uh, uh, heaven is our home. This is temporary. So when we get in the mind phrase that this is temporary, our suffering is temporary. We won't get too attached to this world. You ever tried to send an email with a large attachment and it says it won't go through? Attachment is too large. Well, if we're going to have this encouragement, we have to make sure that our attachment to the things of the world is not too deep and not too wide, not too strong. Because it's all going to be temporary. We're going to be moved on. This is not God's purpose to live like this forever. God's got so much better for us. You ever wonder how our global partners and our missionaries leave their home and their families and move to a different spot in the world, one that they may have never lived there before, and they go there, and they're willing to go there, and they're glad to go there, is because of this truth. They are God, and God wants to use me, and, and I'm going to make you know the place that I live or, or where I'm going to go or what I'm going to have or what I'm going to do interfere with what God wants me for, wants, how he wants to use me in my life. And they're willing to go. This is a test for us. If God would call us to move from your place to another place, would be would be willing to say, Yes, Lord, I'm willing. Or perhaps God would say, you know. I want you right here, but yet, but God, it would be better, and I would be more, I would think I'd be more happier if I moved over there. But God says, no, I want you to stay right there. 
You see, that's a test for us. If we're living as strangers and foreigners that we're just passing through this life, it's a test for us in our faith and trust. And this is important as we go through suffering. We can remember this great truth. It was about six years ago. Cindy and I were at a place and a crossroads in our life where we just uh, didn't know how God was going to use us in this next season of life. And we were living in a beautiful spot in the northwest near a seaside in uh, Oregon, and it was just right on the coast. And, and, and then, you know, having our families nearby and it's a wonderful thing. Yes, I can hear that cry. That's the way we were crying. So, <laughs> God, we desire to be right here. And I remember my wife saying, you better not put limits on God. You know, our mates can be like the Holy Spirit assistant sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? They say, well, yeah, but... Okay. All right. So, so we always praying, and we were praying, and God, you know, we, we, we had this all mind that we're going to stay right here in the Northwest and be with our kids and grandkids, and we just loved that, you know, and all that. And, and so uh, we didn't want to move. But then we started to pray, God, if you want to move us wherever, if you want to move us to even Okay, if I say a state, somebody's going to get offended. But God, we're willing to go. And just right after that, we get an email from a local pastor in this area. And God moved us to here, and I'm so thankful that he did. Because God has done a wonderful work in our life, as, as well as, I believe, the ministry. And some of you know the journey, what that looked like, and we praise God for that. God has raised up a ministry here to be a powerful witness in this community. And we praise God for that. But we had to go through that wrestling, saying, God, I release my stronghold. I detach my plans and the things and what I desire to your will to be done. And that's, that's a real tension in our lives, isn't it? And Peter was talking about this. He has encouraged them to do that. Now, here's the good thing. It says, number, the second point I want to bring out is that we're to live as foreigners. It's because we're just traveling through, we're pilgrims because the best is yet to come. We're not home yet. This is not our home. You know that collection that you have of those buttons or those, remember they used to collect buttons back, well, some of you don't, but my mom had jars and jars of buttons that they collected. Or that stamp, or that coin collection. I have a little coin collection I've had since I was a kid. My day is all going to be burned up. I can't imagine all the priceless thing and the, all the things in the museum and the artifacts that we pay so much. It's all going to be burned up. It's just temporary, folks. My motorcycle is going to be burned up one day. It's all gone. It's temporary. Why? This is the good news. That was good news of that. Because there's better to come. I love this old story about a young woman been diagnosed with a terminal illness in a short time to live. Now, she met with her pastor about her memorial service. She told him what songs she wanted to, to have sung and what scriptures she would like to read. And as the meeting drew to a close, the young woman suddenly remembered something very important to her. There's one more thing, pastor. And she said this with excitement. What's that? Said the pastor reply. This is very important. The young man continued. I, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. Pastor stood looking at the young woman, not knowing what to say, and quite puzzled by her request. And the young woman explained, well, in all my years of attending church dinners as a child, 
I always remember that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, some would, in, would eventually lean over and say, keep your fork. It was my favorite part of the dinner because I knew that something better was coming, like velvety chocolate cake or that deep dish apple pie. So she continued, I just want people to see, see me there in that casket with a fork in my hand. I want them to wonder, what's the fork for? Then I want you to tell them, Pastor, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. I just think that's what the Apostle Paul said. He said in Romans chapter 8, he says, I consider that our present sufferings, our present sufferings, what we go through in this life, what we go through, are not worthy comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us when the best is yet to come. Would you bow your heads in prayer, please? My friend, you're here this morning, and I'm not sure what God is doing in your heart and your life, what your struggles are. Please know that God has presented before us a table from his word that we can eat and take with us and allow the truth speak to us. Those truths can be bigger than what's going on in our life. They can be anchors that keep us steadfast in our faith. My friend, if you're here this morning, you do not know Jesus. Well, God calls you to himself. The Holy Spirit brings and makes and brings that conviction and we yield to him. Believing and trusting in the truth that Jesus died for me and his blood can cleanse me from all my sins. Perhaps God has spoken to you at this moment and say, yes, you need to do that. You're convicted by this. You don't have peace about this. But you would say, God, I believe. I trust you. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the light of the scripture that we just read and what Peter wrote to us. May these words May the words stick to our heart. Help them not to slide off. And when we face Monday morning and Tuesday and Wednesday's problems and the suffering that may come a week or two months from now or, or four or five years from whenever, God, that we will remember these words from Peter. That we can have encouragement through the suffering that we face. We thank you, Jesus, for our suffering for us on the cross. And now as we think about taking communion today. Make that illustration very clear to us. And if there be anything that is wrong in our life, anything that, God, you want to speak and we need to correct before we take the, the Lord's Supper today, may we do that right now, God. In this moment that we confess, we get things straight with you, God. Before we come to your table, cleanse our hearts, our hands, our feet, our mouth, our eyes, what we think on cleanse and forgive us, where we, uh, we confess those things before you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Have the worship team come at this time, and we're going to stand at this time, and let's close out the service by singing, and then Cynthia's got an announcement she's going to make uh, right after this. So come up, stand, please, and join us as we sing this last song. We can be a help to you in any way. We're here for you. We'll make ourselves available at the end of the service. You can write on the connection cards any needs that you might have. And uh, uh, we just want you to know that we're here to help you in your journey with Jesus Christ. Let's sing. What?
my sin Nothing but the blood of Jesus What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow That makes me white as no other found I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's sing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me No. no.